New cybersecurity rules for banks, and the nation declares it never experienced a cyber attack. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. It's been a month since New York Governor Andrew Cuomo unwrapped proposed cybersecurity requirements for banks operating in New York State. Cuomo says the proposal from the State Department of Financial Services would help guarantee the financial services industry upholds its obligations to protect consumers and ensure that its systems are sufficiently architected to prevent cyber attacks to the fullest extent possible. Since its unveiling, critics have surfaced, saying banks, especially smaller ones, would be challenged to comply with these regulations. Bank Info Security Executive Editor Tracy Kitten joins me to discuss these new proposed rules. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Eric. Before we get into a critique about the proposed, take a few moments to describe them. This is a new regulation that's been proposed by the, the State Department of Financial Services, but only impacts financial services companies. And some of the requirements that are outlined in the new regulation include mandatory multi-factor authentication for all employees, as well as contractors that have granted privileged access to internal systems, as well as encryption of all non-public information that is either stored or transmitted, as well as some other requirements. It sounds very prescriptive. It is very prescriptive. One of the major criticisms of this regulation, most of the experts that I've spoken with, um, including some experts at banking institutions, say that they feel that the regulation will force banking institutions to comply with checkbox compliance, which we know that the FFIEC, the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council, has focused so much attention on trying to ensure that banking institutions are focused more on ensuring security rather than checkbox compliance. So a lot of experts feel this is a step backward. One of the requirements calls for each of these institutions should have its own chief information security officer. That's right, Eric. And that's one of the points that a lot of experts and even banking institutions are taking issue with. On the surface, it sounds like a great idea, but if you really kind of drill down into it, having a CISO at every single institution might not make sense. For instance, a lot of smaller institutions outsource a lot of their cybersecurity to a third party. And so it may not make sense for that institution to designate or hire a CISO. I noticed, too, that the proposed regulations has a provision dealing with breach notification, which, of course, in New York State, there already is a law dealing with breach notification. What does this do? This breach notification only impacts financial services companies. And one of the things that it stipulates is that a banking institution notify the superintendent of the New York Department of Financial Services within 72 hours of an incident. A lot of critics have said that this will be challenging because it takes more than 72 hours for any organization, including a banking institution, to really wrap its brain around what's happening, what kind of incident has impacted their organization, what kind of data has been exposed. By putting a 72-hour limit on that notification, They say that they're really just kind of opening themselves up for way too many notifications and that it will really overburden the Department of Financial Services. Are these proposed rules set in stone? No, not yet. There actually has been about a 30-day window for comments to come in from the industry. So banking institutions have until the end of October to submit any comments or concerns that they have. But the state has already said that they do plan for this regulation to take effect in January. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you, Eric, for having me. Imagine this a nation claiming it has never experienced a cyber attack. Hard to believe, right? But one nation maintains just that. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk explains from Sydney. Australia says in a new report that it has never experienced a cyber attack. Many people might wonder how the country has managed to stay so secure. The answer is that it has a quite different definition of what a cyber attack is. 
Describing computer security incidents, especially in the context of international law, has always been a difficult proposition. Issue has often been taken with how people apply terms such as cyber warfare, cyber weapons, and cyber terrorism. Classifying cyber incidents accurately is incredibly important, especially if a country decides to take retributive action against another, one which the U.S. is now considering against Russia. The report comes from the Australian Cyber Security Center. It expends considerable effort in the first few pages to take umbrage at how people describe what I'll now just refer to as cyber incidents. The center says that in order for the public to have a more mature discussion about cybersecurity, it is important to get the language right. It maintains that calling every incident a hack or an attack isn't helpful for a proportionate understanding of the range of threats and only promotes sensationalism. Five years ago, Australia settled on the definition of a cyber attack, which is, quote, a deliberate act through cyberspace to manipulate, disrupt, deny, degrade, or destroy computers or networks or the information resident on them with the effect of seriously compromising national security, stability, or economic prosperity. The report outlines a couple of serious incidents that apparently do not constitute a cyber attack. Last year, the Bureau of Meteorology was compromised in an attack that stole documents and all the organization's passwords. Also, distributed denial of surface attacks from overseas disrupted the country's census. Cybersecurity isn't an easy subject to cover, and the closer you follow it, the harder it can be to convey situations, particularly to people with less technical knowledge. Was a person's Twitter account hacked if someone else logs in with a victim's login credentials? To a layperson, that description might be fine, but those in the industry know that guessing someone's login credentials or convincing them into divulging the information is much more trick than hack. Unfortunately, the Cybersecurity Center doesn't offer suggestions for better terminology. It's unlikely for reasons of comprehension that it would be possible to use Australia's strict definition, but we'll keep an eye out for the first cyber attack. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. NHISAC, the National Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, aims to better engage smaller healthcare organizations in cyber threat information sharing. To discuss steps NHISAC is taking to be more inclusive, I'm joined by Health Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. The Department of Health and Human Services recently awarded NHISAC $350,000 in grants to strengthen IT security within the healthcare sector. How is NHISAC using the money? The healthcare sector needs to improve its cyber threat information sharing, and a big part of that is finding ways to better engage the tens of thousands of smaller healthcare providers, such as small clinics and doctor practices. NHISAC hopes to model some of the success that it's seen in other industries, namely the financial services sector, in terms of larger organizations mentoring smaller ones. Denise Anderson is president of NHISAC. Our members who are some of the larger organizations within healthcare do truly look at themselves as mentors and take the responsibility of the security within the sector writ large very seriously. Their philosophy is that a rising tide floats all boats. What approaches do NHISAC members take to share cyber threat information? NHISAC aims to help better utilize some real-time mechanisms for cyber information sharing in the healthcare sector. And Anderson explains. 
as members are seeing things within their environments, they're sharing it back to us. And there's a number of ways that they do that. We have the capability to do machine-to-machine sharing through a program called Sultra Edge. We can absolutely roll it out much broader to the sector writ large, but we also have list servers where our members are sharing information with each other real-time as they see it. We do have the capability of doing things pretty much in real time, and we'll be looking to expand that out to the sector. The idea of sector-specific information sharing and analysis centers is to focus on unique challenges each industry faces. What threats are distinctive to healthcare? A big problem for the healthcare sector is that cyber attacks not only potentially compromise privacy of patient data, but the attacks can also dangerously disrupt the delivery of care to patients. Here again is Anderson. We've now created huge vulnerabilities in attack services for threat actors to look at. And probably what's a most disturbing trend is the original concern was around data being taken, but really, in many cases, as we've seen with ransomware, it's actually held up operations so that hospitals and providers can't deliver services to patients. And when you're looking at those types of things, you're talking about people's lives. You're not just talking about people's data. The goal here for NHISAC and the bigger goal for HHS is to ensure that these organizations within the healthcare sector are prepared to deal with these threats and to know when they're coming. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. Finally, do you use your fingerprint as a second authentication factor on your handheld device? Well, the biometric might protect you from someone who seeks to access your smartphone without authorization, but not necessarily law enforcement. No, police haven't created a technical workaround against fingerprint authentication, but a legal one. As first reported by Forbes, a search warrant executed earlier this year gave authorities the power to force occupants of a Los Angeles area house to unlock devices with their fingerprints, casting doubt on biometric defenses, including cases involving mobile devices. The judge in his decision cited a 2014 case in which a Virginia judge ruled that police could force someone to unlock a phone with their fingerprints but not reveal a password. A password is knowledge, something protected under the U.S. Constitution. Being forced to disclose that could be a form of self-incrimination, but the court considers a fingerprint as it does DNA or a handwriting sample, which isn't afforded the same constitutional protection. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chavro. Catch you next time.